So I could tell for some of you that was familiar, <laughs> familiar tune. Just uh, jump, uh, jump right in to that, uh, that Kansas tune in the, in the 70s. It sort of dates us a little bit. Cedric was, uh, was saying any guitar player in the early 80s, they would have known how to play that song, and I could have asked him to play it if uh, uh, need, need be. Uh, but that's a, that, that tune is a, a great tune uh, that captures some of what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. Uh, the, the, the question that, it, that the Ecclesiastes will really be asking is, are we just dust in the wind? It seems like when I just look around, when I consider my own life, that I'm... We're just dust in the wind. You know, things just come and go. We're on that proverbial gerbil wheel. And that's really what it seems like or, or feels like. I thought about moving this, uh, this sermon to 2 a.m., not because of fireworks. Uh, but because, uh, according to uh, reading an article recently, and it was about Google, and what are the questions that people ask Google most regularly and when? Um, and between 2 and 4 in the morning, that's when people are, are asking Google, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> that, that, that's when that question becomes most common. You know, what, what, what is my purpose? Between 2 and 4 in the morning. And I thought, okay, well maybe we'll just move it to 2 o'clock in the morning because that's when people are asking that question. But then another major question around that time is, how do I roll a joint? <laughs> so I thought, you know, that's probably, don't want to go right there. We'll, we'll, keep, it, we'll keep it at uh, 11, uh, 15 or, or so. And... Uh, uh, but address that significant question. You know, what is my purpose? What is this meaning of life? And is there meaning? A number of folks, uh, you know, in, in ministry that you know, cross my, my path, you'll hear stories regularly of people who were told, you don't ask why questions in church. You know, maybe some of you have had that. You know, that you don't express your doubts. You know, you, you paint the smiley face emoji on and you come in, you know, with that. And I think that's one of the reasons that Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. To say, no, the church is the very place you're supposed to come and ask those why questions. It's the place where you're supposed to be able to come and, and share the doubts and, and wonder aloud and, and even share the frustrations and, and share you know, the, the, the honest observations of life and what we're truly feeling. That, I think that's why Ecclesiastes is here and why a, a chunk of what we call in the Bible the... the uh, um, it's uh, the wisdom literature. Um, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, um, and Job. You know, they're, they're here. They're not history. They're not uh, prophetic. They're not letters. They're not sermons. They're, they're more stories or, or general wisdom or even 
as we see in Ecclesiastes and also in Job, particularly the, the questions of life that are pursued in honest, honest ways. Now, I, I think that God not only allows for the honest why question, God welcomes them, even encourages them. Encourage us, our, our honest interaction with life from the, the, the top to the bottom. I think God encourages every diligent, honest search for truth. I think God honors and desires every honest, diligent search for truth. Why, you might ask? That's good. Remember I told you. Why is a good question to ask. I think God honors every honest, diligent search for truth because every honest, diligent search for truth leads to God. And that's what God longs for. That's what God's created us for, is to pursue a relationship with the living God. And our honest, and as we'll see through as we walk through Ecclesiastes for the next several weeks, is you, you, you look at things and you pursue that truth through different means. What you end up doing is finding a dead end at every mean except for the one that points us to the almighty loving creator. And that's what we'll experience as we walk through Ecclesiastes. Uh, 5.36 in your pew Bible if you want to turn there or you can follow along on the screen Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 1 through um, 11 let's, uh, let's pray together gracious God thank you for your written word that, that speaks to us of your, your truth and your, your character and the, the fullness and meaning and purpose of life and we ask now you would help to continue to Prepare our hearts and minds to hear and receive from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1, starting with verse 1. The word of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they, cannot, they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, some of you are saying, this is in the Bible? Now, how'd this sneak in? You know, why is that here? And that's the very reason that I've told you from the beginning. It's here to say, listen, God welcomes this open and honest dialogue with him. Now, but others of you, you read that and you're right at home. I mean, it resonates with you. It's not, it's not a word that you usually hear you know, in, in church. And, and God has just validated the perspective that you have of life right now and welcomed you in to the conversation and the pursuit, the diligent search for truth. And some, after first service, had a few people, they were ready to say, hey, I'm going to get the CD and give that to them, or I'm going to point them to the website. Because it's simply freeing to be told, hey, God's not put off by your doubts and by your diligent search for truth. God's pretty big, big shoulders. God can handle it. And he welcomes your diligent search for truth. And, and what we see here in Ecclesiastes, as, as the author is doing that, he's, he's running into the, the ambiguity and the uncertainty and what see, the seemingly even meaninglessness of life, as I said, just on that gerbil wheel going round and round. That things don't really change. You know, that, that word vanity... That, that's there. That's a key word, the most important word throughout the, the entire writing um, here. And, and you know, we, we think of vanity as sort of arrogance or thinking more of, of yourself, you're vain in, in that way. And, uh, it, and it's related to that in that, especially if we find our vanity from how we look, because our looks, they are temporal. You know, they're, they're not permanent. And, but what the word, um, other places it's translated meaningless or futile. Um, it's the, it's the exact word for the word vapor or, or smoke. You know, something that is there, you can see it, you know that it's there, but it's without substance, really. You go to grab it and there's nothing there. That's what the writer is saying. This is what they're experiencing life to be like. You know, it has no substance and no meaning. It's just vapor. Verse 8, um, all things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eyes not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. You know, that there's, just, there's no satisfaction in, in life. You just sort of keep doing it. You, you keep seeing and the eye just wants to see more. You keep hearing and the, the ear just wants to hear more. You, you keep feeding and it, there's satisfaction for a moment, but then you're, you're ready for the, the, the next one. And, and on and on he'll go throughout the writing of finding uh, through pursuing pleasure or money or uh, achievement or fame that, that each one ultimately are not satisfying. That there even there's a weariness or even a, a boredom that nothing really is fulfilling. Verse 9. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. 
Now that, that, that phrase there, under the sun, is the second most important phrase after van, all is vanity in the whole uh, book. It's, just, it's 30 times you'll hear him use that. Because what he's saying is that, that's his vantage point. <clears throat> he's just looking at the things under the sun. He's only perceiving what he can see with his eyes, what he can hear, what he can feel, what he can smell, or what he can taste. As he looks at just the things under the sun, as he honestly pursues it, he says, you know, they really don't amount to much. There really isn't something that we're accomplishing or, or, or doing That's his, really his fatal flaw, that he limits his perspective there, but we'll, we'll come back to that in, in ensuing weeks. But easy to relate to him, isn't it? Easy to relate to say, when you, when you look around just at the stuff in, maybe in your own life or in life around you. I mean, in our you know, just recent uh, history as a, a nation, like the last three weeks. <laughs> you know, we have all kinds of things going on that bring about the ambiguity of life, the uncertainty. The, it, are we going anywhere as we discuss things like race and sex? You know, certainly for, for many here, the Supreme Court decision and understanding of sexuality... It's brought a lot of uncertainty. Maybe a lot of questions to God. What's going on? But it's not just that particular question. We we as a church have affirmed throughout the years that what we understand God's revelation to teach is that sexuality is to be enjoyed by a man and a woman in marriage together where they're committed to one another before God Till death do them part. Well, you know, you, you consider that definition of marriage. There's a whole lot of things, not just the man and woman, not just the same sex part that's been the question this last week, but as a church, we haven't done that death do you part well. I mean, the, the church of Jesus Christ divorce rates about the same as folks outside the church. You know, we, we know, that we, we fully believe this is what God, God teaches and affirms. But it can cause a lot of question and uncertainty just as we consider that phrase of what we hold to about what we understand sexuality also just brings up the the continued challenge and even failure of the 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 church in the united states to to follow after jesus in the way that jesus loves and you, you see jesus interacting with people all the time that that disagree with him or that are going against what jesus taught and jesus was absolutely brilliant Filled with with such perfect love that he could share the truth without compromise and without condemnation. 
and as a church. And to me, that's still the basic question of how we as followers of Jesus Christ witness to what God shares with us about sexuality. How do, how do we love and witness to God's truth without compromise and without condemnation? That brings up, even in me, a whole lot of ambiguity. Uh, the, the daunting task of living life with one another together and this whole arena of, of sexuality. I mean, it, we're, we're, we're starting to say, well, what does it mean even to be male and female, Right? God, where are you in this? And how do we follow you in this? How do we even understand this? A whole lot to wonder, you know. Are we accomplishing anything? The same thing when you think about race as a nation, right? I mean, how many conversations have you had in the last couple of weeks, especially after the, the murder of the nine in Charleston? And now all the uproar around the Confederate flag and all the rest and the discussion to say Wait a minute, have we gotten nowhere? How in the world is this even still happening? And churches are burning again? And maybe you don't have to go any further, you can just look in the mirror and in your own life and and wonder that for yourself. God, what's my meaning? What what's my purpose? What what am I here for? Maybe the some relationships have, have soured, you know, or the finances have dried up, or you know, you're you're trying, you're putting your best foot forward, and every time you do, you're getting knocked back a step or two. And you're saying, What is this about? Why am I here? Ecclesiastes says that's a fair and honest and open question. And you don't need to deny it. You don't need to be an ostrich and just sort of stick your head in the sand and act like it's not there, whether it's for you or for the world that's going on around you or some combination. Don't need to just paint a smiley face and sing the next song. You don't succumb to helplessness. Don't don't succumb to just being numb or numbing yourself. That's what we'll see as the the writer pursues that self-medication. As we re- walk through Ecclesiastes, we'll see that no, those don't bring meaning either. Just like denying it or trying just to grit your teeth and smile your way through it. The ambiguity is real and the uncertainty of this life at times can be daunting. But it's not trivial. I mean, if it were meaningless, if it were trivial... If it, if it really were just without purpose, then why would the writer have wasted 12 chapters talking about it? 
I mean, the, the very fact that we have that question, that we have that dis-ease, you know, that, that, we, that we are troubled, that we're wondering, that we're fighting with that, is, I believe, an echo of heaven. I mean, where does that notion even come from that life's supposed to have purpose? Who told you that? Who promised us that? But the very fact that deep inside of us, we know no life has meaning and purpose. We are headed somewhere is a sign of the very meaning and purpose of life that is in there. It's a, very, it, it, it's a, a seed and a sign that there is an end with meaning to this diligent search for truth. It's an echo of the reality of heaven, of what's beyond what is under the sun. So I encourage you. I encourage you, uh, for you, or, or uh, if this somehow you're, you're caught in this same struggle that the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is too, then I encourage you, man, just pray it out loud. Write it down, just like he did. Your questions, your anger, your doubt. Let, let, and let God hear it. And, and you say it. Even, you may even need to give God the silent treatment. Yeah, but just know that you're giving God the silent treatment. Because even that very act is moving you beyond just what is under the sun. You know, go, be, be free, go pout in God's face. He can handle it. As we'll talk next week, but be ready for the answers, too. You know, and this, this notion is not just a, an Old Testament notion, and it's not one that just a few folks have. Um, Romans chapter 8 the Apostle Paul really asks some of the same, or makes some of the same points, or, or alludes to the, the reason that that sense of, of meaning and, and purpose can be lost, and why we can feel at times that we're just on the gerbil wheel going round and round, but doing absolutely nothing. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, hear what. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope... That is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, he, what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It's a picture here that Paul gives us of just the fallenness and the brokenness of creation. And in our own, in our own lives, the, the, the sin and selfishness that resides within us. And even the, the brokenness of the, the universe. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes is joining with the very creation in giving voice to that groaning that we may hear and feel in our own lives and in the realities of what happens under the sun. 
that is the case not only um, for us, not only for those that have the Spirit, but for creation itself. So for some, this reading of Ecclesiastes is, is just the right time for you. I mean, you just, you resonated from the first sentence. And it's like, yeah, this, this is what, this is connecting with where I am. For others of you, I encourage you, know, just sort of pack it away. You might be saying, hmm, okay, maybe makes sense a little bit what he's saying, but I get the gist of it, but I'm not feeling it. Just pack it away. Don't go looking for it. It'll find you. Just pack it away and know, okay, this, this is here. And like I said a moment ago, it may not be for you, but there may be another whose doubts and anger or complaining or frustration you didn't know what to do with. You know, and you, you had that same thought, oh, that's bad. You know, don't do that. God's going to be mad at you. No. Now, maybe this is simply to give you the freedom to hear those concerns, to hear that, that honest, diligent search for life, and maybe to join with another on this pursuit of truth that will lead us to God. But here, here again, what Paul says and what we'll see throughout Ecclesiastes, you know, that we, we do gather here knowing that we have a hope beyond what we see and hear. As we, we gather at the table, it's a way for us to, to live into that hope. Uh, a, a way for us to experience that, be reminded of that, to digest that hope. Uh, that we don't have to figure it out on our own. We don't have to have answers to all the questions. We don't have to get rid of all the ambiguity. But we come to our hope that is found in Jesus Christ. That He's our anchor. He's our tether. Not our system, not the answers to the questions, not even our own emotional sense of, of joy. Jesus alone is our hope. And we'll join with one another to seek that truth that we know we find in Him. You know, uh, Dust in the Wind was written by Cary Livgren. And it was in, he wrote it in the 70s, mid-70s, 1980, as he continued on that search of wondering, is he really dust in the wind? Is that really all that he accomplished, all that really life is about? He went on that diligent search for truth, and he found Christ. And uh, you'll uh, started a band called AD that was around for a few years and even now is still writing music and playing music, pointing people to the realities of life and pointing them ahead to the one sure and certain hope that is found in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of ambiguity and uncertainty that we might experience in the reality of our own lives. Um, on your way out today, also, I invite you just to uh, 
pick up uh, a reading plan that we'll keep throughout the summer that'll read through Ecclesiastes and also some of the other wisdom literature, the Psalms and Proverbs that sort of relate to some of these these questions and just uh, have a weekly plan, 15, 20 minutes um, a day, just to read through that, to familiarize yourself with that. We'll read through the whole of Ecclesiastes if you if you do that, but that's uh, on on your way out. Now what I uh, invite you to do is to prepare, prepare yourself to receive from God at the, the, the mystery of the communion table. Um, uh, to, to receive from Him. It's not, like I said, I mean, there's, there's good discussion and there's questions and answers to share with one another, but it's beyond that a relationship with the living God that we'll never be able to figure out. We'll never be able to answer every question, but we'll, we'll pursue that truth together. But ultimately, we must receive Him. 